Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. So the tools that you need to reduce your symptoms of perimenopause or menopause, feel good in your body, improve your relationship with food, so important, and how to exercise and never, ever, ever, ever go on a diet ever again. So Elizabeth and I have so many things to talk about on this podcast that it's you're going to enjoy this one because you know there's so many things happening during midlife and so many changes that are happening in our body and we've been pretty much brainwashed to think that aging has a trajectory. We all age the same and pretty much you're going to gain weight. You might look like your mother. Yeah. And then if that doesn't happen, you may go on your own trajectory and just literally end up declining, end up in a nursing home, all the scary things that none of us want. So Elizabeth and I are going to talk about how to prevent all of those things, plus also how to unwire all that brain damage we've had over the years in this diet culture and gosh, all the things. So, all right, let's introduce you to Elizabeth Sherman. Hey, health junkies, I have Elizabeth Sherman on, and we are talking about probably one of my most favorite topics, habits, but how habits don't necessarily lead to success like we've all kind of been wired to think so. So we're going to blow the door open on that, and we're going to have some fun. So Elizabeth, welcome to the Health Fix podcast. Thanks for having me. This is going to be so fun. Yes, I love kind of exposing the truth, but also giving a different perspective on things. And the fun part that that I found out about you, just kind of, you know, fun and stories and whatnot, we have a lot in common. We both are helping menopausal and perimenopausal women. We're kind of in that stage of life where we know that what worked in our 20s doesn't work now, and we got to find a new a new gig. And both of us also had a similar experience with mom passing from cancer. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what got you into coaching other ladies to ease into this lovely transition of life. Well, exactly. What you just said is exactly what got me into it. So when I was 31 years old, my mom passed away from breast cancer. This was in 2001. And um, I was living in Austin, Texas, working in high tech, not feeling fulfilled in my job. I was like, how am I making the world a better place by working for a high tech company? And I was going to a psychologist, probably more as a life coach than anything. And she was like, I think that you would be a great um, wellness coach. And actually, let me back up for a little bit. When my mom was in going through her disease, I started Googling and I was like, how do I not get this? Because watching her go through it was so impactful. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was that being overweight, which I was, was a huge indicator of like getting cancer, a risk factor of getting cancer. And so I was like, okay, so I do not want to go through what she's going through. And I could tell at 30 years old that if I kept doing what I was doing, which wasn't exercising, which was eating crap, which was like just being hot mess. I knew that if I kept on that trajectory that I would end up much like her. And so that was really my, um, 
the fire that got under me in order to start making those changes. And I would love to tell everyone that once I learned that lifestyle impacts our ability, our body's ability to get disease, that I immediately made this transformation and became perfect. But quite honestly, it didn't. It took me about 15 years of trying different diets, of going on these just radical, stupid things, trying to look for that golden nugget, that, that magic pill that would make everything easy. And it wasn't until I actually got into my forties when I was like, okay, you know what? I cannot keep doing this anymore. I cannot keep over exercising and under eating. And I need to figure this shit out. And it was then that I really got off of the diet train, started listening to my body. And at the same time, that was when I was going through perimenopause. So I then was able to connect the dots between what I was eating, what I was doing and some of my symptoms. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, oh, I started talking about how I uh, went to see the psychologist. She was like, I think that you would be a great uh, you know, wellness coach. And this was back in like 2005, 2007, and we didn't know what coaching was. So um, I got my personal training certificate together. I got my nutrition certificate together and I didn't really know how to market myself as a coach mm -hmm. because it wasn't popular back then. And so I started working out as a uh, personal trainer and it was always really frustrating to me because my clients would start to get good results. And then all of a sudden something would happen where the rug would get pulled out from under them and they would go off their eating plan and go off their exercise. And that thing was always stress related. And so even though we have habits, right, we know how to establish habits and habits are supposed to take 21 days to establish, right? But then this other thing would happen in their life that I wouldn't feel comfortable coaching them on, like um, a problem with their parents or their kid gets in trouble or their job gets busy and all of their habits would then take a turn. And all of this, all of the advice that we have about stress management to date really is about, oh, go for a manicure, get a massage. And that stuff really doesn't work. And so it wasn't until I learned about the life coaching piece that I do with my clients that I was like, oh, I totally get it. We can actually preemptively manage our stress by learning how to think about our problems and understanding how we look at our to-do list, for example, or our family dynamic or things like that. And so that kind of leads into where I am today. That's, I mean, it's such a real trajectory. And I think it's great that you mentioned the 15 years, because I think a lot of people will look at the trajectory that they're on and feel like just kind of should on themselves. Let's put it that way and be like, I should be so much better. I should, you know, what, what's my deal. But I, I too, you know, it's been since 2004 when my mom passed. And I also had that realization of like, Oh, 
<laughs> wait, I don't want this. Um, same thing, just watching the whole thing happen and, and getting to where I am today, even as a naturopathic doctor going to naturopath school. What did I not learn? Healthy habits, stress management, what stress management meant. Because like you said, stress management to me was like, if I open up a spa or I join in on a spa, I'll be chill all day. I don't even have to go. I just own part own of it, own part of it. Um, it it doesn't work that way. And so I would love, love, love for us to talk about the whole concept of of why habits don't stick, but also I I want to talk about the eight basic habits that all healthy people kind of do. So I'll let you take the reins here and and kind of lead us into where you want to start with that one and and just let's talk all things habits. Yeah, absolutely. Um so the eight basic habits aren't anything that anyone hasn't heard before. I mean, I'm going to tell you what all the habits are, and I'll actually give you some resources of where you can learn more about them. But it starts with number one is drink water. Okay. So we all know this, right? So um, number two is eat some vegetables, right? So I love the, and those first two habits can often be really difficult for a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I, all of my clients are like, I love eating vegetables and I really like drinking water. And so one of the first things that I do with my clients is I'm like, okay, so let's actually see how much water you're drinking and how much vegetables you're eating. And when they track it, then they're like, oh, <laughs> like, I didn't realize I'm eating on average, like one serving of vegetables a day. And I totally get it. Like eating vegetables and drinking water is a very intentional thing. Mm -hmm. I've never accidentally eaten a carrot, right? <laughs> this is true. Never got to the bottom of a bag of carrots and been like, who hijacked me to eat all these? Definitely. Exactly. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And so being intentional about those two things, and I actually even, well, I hate to say that one of the habits or two of the habits are more important, but probably those two can build the foundation of everything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, and let me go back to water for just a second. So a lot of times people will ask, how much water should I be drinking? And we all know the eight glasses of eight ounces, and that's kind of bunk. Like it doesn't make sense that a 100 pound woman and a 250 pound man should be drinking the same amount. So one of the guidelines that we use is take your body weight, um, divide it in half. And that's the number of ounces, but be aware that lots of food have are filled with water. And so what you want to do is just notice at the end of the day, if your water or if your urine is light yellow in color, then you're probably good. That's a very solid way to, to identify it. Yeah. Um, okay. Number three is eat protein. And I like eat protein with each meal. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of the vegetarian diet. I know that there are some people who do, uh, do really well on vegetarian diets, but some people really need protein in their diets. And when we look at hormones, you're a naturopath. So you know that what protein will do for you is it'll help you to stay fuller for longer periods of time. It helps regenerate your cells and it's just really good for you. So mm -hmm. yeah. 
No, it's it, it's one of the things that I agree to that. Yes, sometimes plant based diets can work for folks. I'm all about plant forward. And yeah, <laughs> because yeah, it, it may it just makes sense. And honestly, like in my 18 plus years now in practice, I've, I've never seen someone really thrive on a vegan diet unless they had a personal chef or they they didn't work, they were able to to make all of their foods and be on top of it. And, and that's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially vegan and raw food diets. And what really kills me is that so many of us look at, and I say us, but so many people look at vegetarian as being like the healthy diet, but there's a reason why we all don't do it is because some people are really going to need to have protein in their diets and vegetarian and vegan diets generally don't offer enough. True. It's true. Yeah. And you, or you're cooking all day or trying to figure out how much you need to eat to get there and you might end up full before you get there. That's yeah. You know, and, and so, yeah, that's it's. And, and I think the other big thing and, and this, you've probably seen too, is we have a lot of folks on social media really touting these types of, of diet plans. And unfortunately, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it too, is that when women are really struggling in there and they don't have the habits to be able to make their own food, it ends up where the vegan diets just end up so out of balance for someone and it, and cheese and breaditarian starts to come in. I find even, you know, we go from vegan to vegetarian to cheese and breaditarian. It, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I was a vegetarian for a period of time. And that's probably one of the big reasons why I'm against it is yeah. because I saw what it did to me. And like, I probably lost a ton of muscle during that time when I was uh, dieting as a vegetarian and it was years. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. We both have a similar experience there too. Cause I, I was seven till 24. I was vegetarian. Oh, wow. And really because my parents, my, my dad, not my mom, um, my dad was a hunter. And so we, we had a lot of venison and mm -hmm. my mom made it in Italian dressing. And that is only, that's how I thought meat tasted. I had no idea. And so I think one of the things to bring up and the reason I tell this story is because a lot of folks who haven't prepared meat, you know, having some experience with it and working with it to have it taste good can, can be all the difference. And that's really what it took for me to come out of being vegetarian. My, my Chinese medicine docs were like, look, you are so anemic. Look, you are not healthy. And really the only reason I was doing it is because one, I didn't think meat tasted good. And two, I, I was trying to keep my weight under control and it yeah. didn't work ever. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Number three is move, or I'm sorry, number four is move daily. And it doesn't have to be weight training. It doesn't have to be at the gym. But what we do know is that we want to be moving 30 minutes at least per day. And for those of you who are couch potatoes, if you are a couch potato, just start where you are and start small. So start with five minutes a day. You're thinking right now, five minutes a day isn't going to do much but it will, it'll start to build self-trust and it will, it's better than doing nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> that way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Love it. Okay. Okay. What's okay. Number, number five is, um, get enough sleep. Now this is a little bit tentative because for those of you who are in perimenopause, menopause, you're probably noticing that your sleep is disruptive. So be aware that the more sleep that you can get, the better. Um, and it's going to be different for absolutely everybody. 
but one thing that I really noticed is, you know, we talk about how our eating habits when we were 20 really don't serve us as we get older. But I think that I took my sleep habits for granted as well when I was a younger woman, because I could sleep anywhere at the drop of a hat. I never had any problem sleeping. And it wasn't until I got into my late forties and fifties that I really realized that I did not have good sleep hygiene. And so really being able to establish, you know, a good bedtime routine so that you prepare your brain for sleep. And then I also have some really good techniques that I use with my clients for getting back to sleep. If you do wake up in the middle of the night. Ooh, do you mind sharing one least for us to? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. This one is, I don't remember exactly where I learned this, but it's voodoo man. So, um, there are two reasons typically why people will stay awake in the middle of the night. One is that you're going over your to-do list and you're thinking about, oh, I need to do that thing and I need to do that thing. Or you're having kind of anxiety about like the past or the future. And so let me give you the one because it's easier for your to-do list. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, I forgot to write that check. I don't know. Do people write checks anymore? Probably not. But I need to, (laughs) I need to text that person or I need to do something and I don't want to forget like, cause that'll instill anxiety, right? Absolutely. So here's the technique you have, you, there's every one of us has a specific routine that we do in the morning. You Mm -hmm. get up, you put your clothes on, you brush your teeth, you go get coffee, whatever it is for you. What you're going to do is you're going to imagine yourself going through that process. And at some point in that process, you are going to visualize yourself remembering to do the thing that you are right now trying to remember to do. So for me, I remember, or I peg it to reaching into my cupboard and pulling out my coffee mug because it's pretty much in the same place every single day. And what I do is I remember, or I visualize myself being like, oh, that's right. I need to do that thing. And then I visualize myself either writing it down on a sticky or doing the thing. And it's amazing how well this technique works rather than like grabbing your phone and making a note to do it and waking yourself up. That's so cool because yes, one of the things that, you know, a lot of folks have been coached to do is have a piece of paper and a pen next to their bed, you know, or have the phone next to it and write the note, which I don't recommend ever, but this one's amazing. So, so you just, you just lay there and you're like, okay, I'm going to visualize, you know, writing the check to, to Susie. And then after you're done, you just keep your eyes closed and and you just drift back off to sleep. Yeah. So cool. Okay, everybody. Yeah. So do it with like a low risk thing first, just mm-hmm. to see that it works. And it it really does. So awesome. Awesome. Love it. Love it. We are definitely going to have to put that into the podcast notes. So guys, if you missed that, we'll repeat it on you or just <laughs> that'll help you. All right. What's next? What's next? On okay. That? Uh, where are we? Are we at number six? Five, six, six. six. Okay. Number six is manage your stress. Okay. And let's talk about that in just a little bit. Let me get through the rest of them. Um, But we can go back to some of the techniques that I use with my clients in terms of managing your stress. But 
we know that I'll just say this, that, um, most of our stress is actually in our minds. We know that two people can experience the same exact circumstance, the same event and have very different stress responses to it. And so therefore, and the stress is really the part that's going to allow you to maintain your habits. So that, that habit is actually really important. So you just need to figure out what's a good stress management technique for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, number seven is eat just enough, not too much. Okay. 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 Like that could be tricky for some folks. I think the first question that would come off of my, off of not mine, but someone else's question would be, well, how do I know it's just enough when I don't even trust myself around food? Good question. So how, what I do is I teach, so many women, I feel like have been disconnected from their heads and their bodies. And so one of the very first things that I do with my clients is have them do something called a body scan. Mm -hmm. And it becomes the work throughout our program. And the body scan is just reconnecting our heads into our bodies because as a perimenopause and menopausal woman, our body is sending us signals about what's good for us and what's bad for us, how much we should be eating, how much we should not be eating. Um, one of the ways to know this is like alcohol, for example, if you're someone who drinks alcohol, you probably notice that you're waking up in the middle of the night. And so that's your body telling you that, Hey, you're a little bit more sensitive to alcohol during this time of your life. And so when we can start understanding the signals and paying attention to how our body feels, we also want to do that from two different places. One is understanding hunger cues, mm -hmm. knowing when I'm hungry, what feels like satisfaction, and what feels like overfulness. So being able to distinguish those sensations in the body, but then also we look at emotions, how emotions feel in the body as well. So for example, when I feel embarrassed, my face gets flushed um, and I feel a rapid heartbeat. When I feel anxious, here's something interesting. My anxiety and excitement actually feel very similar in my body. The only difference is that anxiety has a little bit of dread uh, packed into it. Um, and so really being able to understand the sensations of the body, and that's actually going to be really interesting in the eighth habit. But so the question was, how do I know when I've had enough? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we do is we portion out our plate and then take like 20% off and see how you feel. And I guide my clients through, well, if you get hungry in 20 minutes after you eat, you can totally have more. I don't want you to be hungry, but let's just try to reduce the amount that you are eating mm -hmm. so that you can start to get more comfortable with the feeling of satisfaction. Because I know that when I learned this habit, I was eating to fullness every single time, almost every single time. And so it took me going back to the reality of these habits. It took me probably 18 months to really understand and master what eating just enough, not too much felt like in my body. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. 
I, it's it's one of those things that I, I think because we, and it almost seems like the longer we've been disconnected and probably I'd venture to say, you can, you can chime in on what you think here. I'd venture to say most women somewhere around like 15, 16 start to disconnect from things. I mean, it's diet culture. It might be even earlier than that. I mean, we are told over and over and over again as young women that we should not pay attention to our body, that our body is bad that, oh, if you just follow the diet and if you get hungry, just drink some water. Like you're not really hungry. Like this is, you only need 1200 calories and it's rice cakes and broccoli for that matter. Right. And so, yeah, we are taught to disconnect from our bodies over and over and over again. So yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you were saying this connects into number eight. Yes. So number eight is um, eating treats. So limit your treats. Okay. And I like to limit my treats to anywhere from 10 to 15% of, and I don't like talking about calories, but fit 10 to 15% of my total diet. And so, um, yeah. And so why that plays into this habit is because when we find ourselves in front of the pantry asking ourselves, am I hungry? And so doing that body scan and understanding, am I hungry or not? And I always guide my clients through, if you are hungry, yes, go ahead and eat, please do. But if you're not hungry, what are you feeling? Are you feeling bored? Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling anxious? Like what is being in front of the pantry signaling to you? And so that's how we kind of disconnect from um, emotional eating. Because we don't want to completely get rid of emotional eating because we celebrate with food. And so we want to do that, but we just don't want to do the unconscious eating that many of us do. Yeah, Uh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's incredible. I found myself so many times in front of the pantry or making passes through the kitchen and, or like I'll finish something and I'll go into the kitchen. It's almost like I'm rewarding myself, you know, for a treat. Yeah. World, I'm not even hungry. What am I doing? I just ate lunch like 20 minutes ago. (laughs) But it's, it's fun. It's just kind of, it's funny. It's interesting how, how we operate. And I think for a lot of women, it's something that sadly we've, we've been disconnected from. And it's a great reminder to, to do scans and to really ask yourself and, and really put in the work. And and I'm so glad you said it took you about 18 months because I know a lot of women, when I work with them, they're like, oh, I'm going to be a new person in six months. And it's like, man, I wish, I wish yeah you were going to learn you know, sustainability of things here, but we're, we're going to keep working with that. How, how long do you work on, with women on average? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. So my one-on-one coaching is uh, six months in duration and I have a group coaching program, which is a year, which is, you know, a lot of people don't want to do that because they think that they're going to be on a diet for a year. But what I'm doing is not, I'm reteaching them all of the, the things that we, un, it's what, it's unlearning all of the bad stuff that we learned through diet culture as younger women. And so it takes a lot of reteaching, but then the other piece to that is we have this mentality, of, Oh, once I go on a diet and then I get to my goal weight, then I'm golden. Uh-huh. But the other piece to that is you need to learn how to maintain that weight. Yeah. If weight loss is your goal. Right. And so how, how do you not be on a diet for the rest of your life? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the million dollar question, I think, for a lot of women and not something that we're asking. We should be asking, how do I stay off a diet for the rest of our life? You know, instead of how do I get this 20 pounds off me like yesterday, which I'm sure you see that in, in your, your group as well. So one of the things that I came up when you were talking about 10 to 15% of your diet as treats, I know I'm going to get this question because most folks are going to be like, what's 10 to 15% of your diet? Is it a day like where you can have snacks? And, and where I'm getting at here is I would love to see, to, to have you talk about your opinion on cheat days and all that stuff, because 10 to 15% may equate to someone, oh, I have a cheat day. And Mm. once again, diet culture undoing. So speak to that. Let's do it. I love this question because yeah, I am not a fan of cheat days. I did cheat days and yeah, so I did a bodybuilding contest and in that whole bodybuilding lifestyle, I did the whole restrict binge regret cycle every single week. It was the same thing on Monday. I would be super strict and I would night white knuckle it throughout the entire week. And I would actually literally create a list of all of the foods that I wanted to eat during the week. And then when Saturday come came, I would eat it all. I remember one week I actually logged my food for a Saturday. I ate over 5,500 calories because I was so, I was just like all in on it. I went to bed just feeling awful. And I felt awful physically. I felt awful about myself and I didn't know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so I teach my clients how to have treats on a daily basis, because otherwise we feel like we can't control ourselves around sugar and treats. And so learning to build that self-trust of having two pieces of chocolate or having a bag of chips or whatever it is and not overeating them because it's, it's there and I have scarcity mindset around it. Oh, I, I think, you know, obviously my, I've, I've done the same and probably at that five, you know, 5,500 calories on a weekend, both days, maybe sometimes, you know, and, and I, and I know where, it, you know, it, it, it's that scarcity, right? You, you're like, I'm gonna go nuts, especially with bodybuilding competitions. My goodness. I saw that you had participated in, in that. And, and I think I see a lot of women who really struggle after weeks of, you know, boiled chicken and, you know, steamed beans and broccoli for days on end. I mean, it's, it's hard. It is so hard. So looks like okay. we have connection. Back. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll let it. No. Well, so picking up from where you left off, um, I gained 30 pounds in the month after I did my bodybuilding competition. And not only was like, I, believe that I developed a, uh, an eating disorder after that. Um, but also the, I hope I can say this, the mind fuck of seeing my body go from 12% body fat to like two or three sizes higher within the matter of a month was just so wow. 
yeah, I, I don't even know how to, it. and so that's part of like my, my fire of why this is, this information is so important for me to get out to my clients, to create a healthier relationship with food so that you're not doing this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've, I've seen that same phenomenon the month after. It's just incredible. And and I think this is so important to say because so many women will see other women do the fitness competitions and, and bodybuilding competitions and they're like, that's the ticket. I'm just going to do that and then I'll have the body I want and everything's going to be great. And then a month after happens. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting to me is that my diet today is probably pretty close to the diet that I had when I was on my bodybuilding competition. However, I don't look at it as a diet. It's just the way that I eat now. I eat more um, vegetables and like, this is just how I eat. And I don't get neurotic over like not being able to that impacts my body. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I think that's one of the things that ends up with the diet culture, what ends up with all of these different plans, whether it's keto, whether it's this, whether it's that. And, and even, you know, in, in some of my programs, I have had people do a little bit of detox work while we're learning about their body. And, and even then it's very careful when we go into maintenance phase from, from that, because, it, it just messes with our brain so, so much. So one of the things I really wanted to talk about, you know, with all of this is, is the motivational component behind it, because mm -hmm. we've talked habits, we've talked about the eight great habits. And I think motivation and, and why habits don't stick are why those kind of things. What do you advise the women that you work with about their their habits and why they don't stick, but also the motivation component behind it, the pleasure, the pain, the the whole nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that first of all, when we go on a diet or when we start to adopt new habits, one thing that I think we go into the whole process misguided with is that we have tons of motivation and we think that when it's a dreary Saturday afternoon or Sunday and that I'm always going to feel this way. We always think that I am always going to have the emotion that I currently am experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so what tends to happen with a lot of folks is that they rely on motivation being there when they don't feel like doing it. Like, oh, well, I'm oh, future Elizabeth. She's totally going to want to run five times next week. Meaning, meanwhile, like present day Elizabeth doesn't run at all. But future Elizabeth, yeah, she's going to want to do it. So part of it is really setting yourself up for success. It's what I call having your own back. So if you don't want to do it today, future you probably is not going to want to do it either. Okay. So. And there's, um, I love this idea of something called the river of misery. Let me explain that. So imagine that you're crossing a river. You have two different paths. One path is great big boulders and 
you only have like three or four steps to go to get to the other side. The other path is like 20 little stones, but you have more to go through, but they're closer together. When we talk about habits, so many of us bite off way more than we can chew. So this analogy is about, you know, dieting or changing your habits. The bigger boulders, the flashier way that we have change will produce results maybe faster, but there's also a higher likelihood that we're going to fall off the boulder and into the river of misery. And then we're going to have to go back to the beginning and start all over. And that can feel really defeating. Meanwhile, the smaller stone steps, stepping stones are smaller and, but they're closer together. It's going to take us longer to get across, but the likelihood of not falling in is going to be easier. Okay. So I really like to set my future self up for success and really understand what is it that she is going to be able to do. So really setting small goals in place. Now that's part of it. The second piece to having your own back is really about following through on the plan. So once you've created the plan, then you just have to follow through on the plan. Now, this is where what I call the motivational triad comes in place, because what will typically happen is when we are scheduled to exercise, and this is me. So every single morning I get up, I do some morning stuff. I drink two cups of coffee and then I, it's on my schedule to go exercise. I never want to go exercise. Never, <laughs> but I do it because I like how exercise makes me feel. So there's that initial discomfort that I have to get through. Okay. So what the motivational triad is, is it's something how all of us function as humans. And the motivational triad means, or is explained, it's a Tony Robbins idea that everything we do as humans is seeking pleasure, it's avoiding pain, and it's doing it as efficiently as possible. So my example of sitting on the couch, not wanting to go exercise, of course, I don't want to go exercise. Like exercise is hot. I'm going to sweat. It takes exertion. I'm sitting on the couch. It's really super comfortable. It's easier if I just do the status quo, right? Right. And so knowing that about myself is what gets me off the couch. Now we can use the motivational triad in another way as well. So let's say that something happened and you didn't get to prep your food or you didn't order what you said that you were going to, you didn't follow through on the plan. So I think that the other piece is really having your own back. And what I mean by that is stopping the negative self-talk in your head of, oh, now I've failed. So looking at that incident and making it mean something about you as a person. When we can look at that past behavior through the lens of the motivational triad, we can really understand, like, here's another example. So let's say that you said that you wanted to cut down on evening treats every single night after you eat your dinner, you then have some ice cream. Okay. 
I think that so many of us think that, oh, future Elizabeth is not going to want ice cream, right? <laughs> I've been doing it for two years. Of course, she's going to want ice cream, right? Yep. Yep. And so what we don't plan for is something else. Well, what am I going to do instead of that? Because nature abhors a vacuum. And so if it comes time, it's eight o'clock and my brain immediately goes to let's have ice cream, but you're like, no, we're not supposed to have ice cream. And so those cravings, and this goes into uh, the body scan again, like what does a craving feel like in your body when you can like feel the craving, the nervous energy of the craving And because most of us don't really think about that, we're just like, I I just need to have ice cream. And so looking at the, looking at the lens of that behavior through the lens of the motivational triad, the craving felt really bad in our bodies Mm -hmm. and we were seeking pleasure, the ice cream and our brains, like the easiest way to do that is to satisfy the craving with ice cream. So of course, it totally makes sense. So that's kind of like all of that wrapped up in a, a nice little bow there that when we can look at our past behavior through this tool, it can really help us to understand why we did something in the past that doesn't, that goes against what it, what we want in the future. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And and I can see where a lot of people would would hear this and go, okay, all right. Yeah, because most of us, of course, give in to the, the craving. I mean, absolutely easiest way to go. But if we really explore ourselves a little bit more. So it sounds like if we we take away the theme from today, being very curious about yourself and really getting to know yourself is kind of the secret to finding habits that work and stick for you. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, you know, there's no wrong way of doing it. Like one of the, I mentioned uh, that one of the women uh, yesterday was talking about how, um, gosh, I even just forgot. Well, anyway, (laughs) Um, one thing that I really encourage my listeners and my clients to do is half-ass everything because half-assing will get you closer than just giving up. And so If you, you know, just do a little bit, it will get you so much closer than if you just completely just say, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. Right. Yeah. I think that's, you know, sage advice because a lot of women definitely there, you know, some of us will even say that we're all or nothing kind of folks, but I feel like that's a dangerous statement because now we're setting ourselves up for we're all in or we're all out. There's no in between. And it seems like society's kind of given us that that thought process too, that there's no in between. And and half-assing it really does give us that in between and some flexibility. Absolutely. 100 percent I yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you. You know, okay. A lot of people are going to be thinking, like, okay, this is awesome. And we've talked about, you know, day-to-day life. What about if we are on vacation? What about if, pardon me, what if we are on vacation? What if we are out and about? What if we're celebrating? 
do we need to to rewire ourselves a little bit on ce- what celebration means or or is this kind of going along the same lines of when I feel full I'm full and I'm good and I'm I'm celebrating T- tell us mm. a little yeah I mean that's a, actually a really good question and I kind of knew that I had turned a corner in my own journey when I went on vacation and my diet didn't really deviate that much from when I was at home. Like it was just, this is how I eat. How I eat makes me feel good. And that's always my goal for my clients is when you can eat to support, again, the future version of yourself and really have her back because she's the one who's going to have to suffer the consequences of over drinking or overeating or not eating properly. Like when we can discover the habits that make us feel good, then that will, it'll completely change your mind. When you have your future selves back, that will like completely change everything. Now, that being said, um, celebrations and vacations, of course, I want my clients to, you know, have the local cuisine or, you know, go out to dinner and have birthday cake or whatever it is, even drink alcohol. There's nothing that's off limits. But when you look at, when you notice and can connect the dots between what I do and how I feel and you have your own back, then it will change that. So you may not have control over what you eat, but we always have control over how much we eat. And so when you're celebrating, when you're at on vacation, like indulge in all of the local cuisines, have guacamole, have a margarita, but then understand where your limits are. And again, that just goes back to getting curious and noticing what happens when you overdo it, how much is enough. So really like having that threshold of what, what's the line? Where can I, where can I go? I might notice that I can have one glass of wine at dinner and it doesn't disrupt my sleep, but two glasses, I'm starting to get a little bit too much. And then three glasses, well, then I know that I'm in for it, but at least you're going into it knowing that, right? It's a completely different experience than if I tell you, okay, Janine, you can't drink alcohol while you're working with me, or you can't eat bread. But if you then experience what it feels like to drink alcohol, you're out to dinner with your partner and you're like, Elizabeth's not here. She's not the boss of me. I'm going to have some wine. And so then you drink the wine and then you realize, oh, you know what? Not only was I up all night last night, but then the next day I felt sluggish and tired. And then I dug into the pretzels and the cookies because my energy was low and I needed a nap. And then it started this whole cycle. So we can really connect the dots between the alcohol and then the, the overeating the following day. And so now you, now you're, uh, equipped to figure out like, okay, well, I'm going to have that third glass of wine, but now I know that this is going to be the fallout. And if that is the fallout, I can totally take care of myself. Yeah. 
knowledge is power here and and being connected is is so so important I'm sure by now, Elizabeth, a lot of folks are like, how do I work with Elizabeth? How do I get in touch with her? So ElizabethSherman.com is your main website, correct? Mm -hmm. Now tell us about your programs. Tell us, you know, Instagram, Facebook, wherever folks can find you, give us the scoop. Yeah. So you can find me at the Done With Dieting podcast since you like listening to podcasts. And I talk about all of this stuff there. Um, and then I also, you can find me on Facebook at total health by Eliz. You can find me at Instagram at done with dieting podcast. And, um, yeah, all of that information is there. If you want the eight basic habits, uh, guide and checklist, and it comes with a handy little like checklist for you. Um, you can get that at elizabethsherman.com slash habits, uh, podcast episode number three also talks more about it. Okay, I'm typing it in my notes here, guys. So podcast episode three, that way we can get a hold of those eight habits. And I will have that in my show notes at drjkrausnd.com. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. Great conversation, stuff that I know a lot of women are going to enjoy hearing. And also just a good wake up for a lot of us to become more curious about ourselves. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Good. Well, probably have to do it again sometime soon. Hey, health junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to doctor spelled out J K R A U S E N D dot com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule of chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.